The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to a very special bonus episode of the POD cast, the podcast. Uh, where we are your Detroit Lions, source for all things Detroit Lions. Uh, A little redundant there with the intro, but uh, my name is Jeremy Reisman. Uh, The reason we have a very special episode here is because we have a very special guest. Um, You may know him as the founder of Go Long or GoLongTV.com. You may know him as the writer of the up-and-coming book, The Blood and Guts, How Tight Ends Save Football, which is out for sale October 18th. But you may know most recently for an amazing story he wrote about the Detroit Lions offensive line with an awesome title and even better artwork, the, the title of which is The Detroit Lions Must Break You. It's Tyler Dunn. Tyler, thank you for joining us tonight. Pleasure to be here, Jeremy. They, thanks so much for having me. It's I figured enough people have seen Rocky Four, right? Like <laughs> right. everybody gets the Drago reference. I just kind of assume that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And yeah, I'll, I'll show the if you haven't seen the 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 art, it's amazing. And I almost want it as my my background for my computer now. But I'll show it to our live audience in a minute here. But uh, I want to start with just kind of your process here. What what got you interested in the Detroit Lions offensive line? Because that's that's all I want to talk about today. <laughs> Heck yeah, man. And and thanks so much for having me here. It's just awesome to talk Lions, talk offensive line play and just, you know, you've got a got a legion of followers here. So it's great (laughs) to join the community, Jeremy. Uh, I I think what kind of got me interested in the Lions is probably we got a lot of people curious, right? When we hear Dan Campbell talk in the terms that Dan Campbell does. You know, we're mm-hmm. right from the kneecaps at the top to, you know, we're, we're, we're paddling. We're going to stay and we're going to keep treading water until we up and bury you. <laughs> I mean, this stuff is why we all got into football, right? I mean, it, I, I listened to a Dan Campbell press conference and it brings me back to Ellicottville Central 2005, you know, you mm-hmm. know, now I'm going to sound like Uncle Rico, you know, <laughs> living in the good, the good old days. <laughs> I feel like this, the, the soul of the sport is there in Detroit, Michigan, where like so much is changing when it comes to the NFL, you know, the rules, the fines, the flags, it's just so much BS. And I, I'm not a big analytics guy. I, I feel like it's a game played by humans. Mm-hmm. At, at the end of the day, it's this man against that man. And it's th- that that's why we love football. So that's kind of what got me curious, I guess, about the Lions. And then 
I was like, you know what? Let's go out there. Let's go make this pilgrimage to, you know, where we can find the soul, the sport and, and talk to the people who are kind of bringing all of that to life. Right. Like mm-hmm. if he wants to win this way, if he wants to play this way, it's on the offensive line to just push people around and shove people's faces in the dirt. You know, Hank Fraley uses those yeah. words as well. Right. Um, so I to answer your question. That's, that's the impetus. Let, let, let's figure this out. Let, let's see how this team's bringing it all to life. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so glad you tackled the offensive line because it was one of the things that I thought was kind of a glaring omission from hard knocks this year. Um, and it was something that I know that they were interested in, you know, the, the, the director of that show had mentioned in the first couple of weeks that that was one of the things that, that kind of drew them to the team or one of the storylines that they thought they were going to cover. And then it didn't end up getting that much play. Um, but there's so many interesting characters on this offensive line um, with, with interesting stories that I feel like the, the local media has maybe scratched the surface of, but you kind of really dug your nails into a, a, a little bit. And I, I kind of want to know just your, your process, you know, me as, as kind of a, a burgeoning storyteller, how, how did the whole story come together? Yeah, no doubt. And, and with go long, you know, launching th- this website would have been November of 2020. You know, I, I wrote features at Bleach Report before that and covered the Packers at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel Bills of the Buffalo News, but always gravitated toward long form features, just humanizing pro football. So I, I want to sit down with guys, hear their stories, talk at length. And th- these guys were all about it. I mean, Taylor Decade, Panay Sewell, Jonah Jackson, Frank Ragnall, we, we caught up on, on the phone after the fact, which I could have spent all week out there. Right. But I feel like these guys, to your point, just wanted to explain their job, detail their stories and, and help us all kind of understand how, you know, the, these five, you know, the four that I talked to, yeah, they, they all come from different places. They've all been through different things. I'm sure we'll get into it. You know, Penesel's out in the middle of the Pacific ocean, running away from tsunamis. Right. Uh, T- Taylor Decker. I mean, he's, he's got everybody in his life, but man, what his brothers have, have seen overseas ha- left a huge impact on him. And, and he's been through plenty. And then obviously Frank and Jonah Jackson have, have lost people who raised them that they, they love. They think about every practice, every game. So all these guys come from different backgrounds, but when they come together, as Hank Fraley kind of put, you, you, you go from an open hand to a fist and you just try to club somebody over the head. I think it's literal. I think it's metaphorical. It's all of that. Um, but yeah, I think it was just really sit down with each guy, you know, until they got sick of me basically, or they had a meeting, <laughs> which, which was the case. They weren't sick of me. They weren't, they were unbelievably <laughs> candid, unbelievably generous with their time, but we pushed it up against all their meetings and they loved it. I mean, I think they loved it. It was great to just hear, hear from guys who don't get a, get a chance to talk much, right? They're right. not, I hate to use the word sexy in, in, in football, but they're not that. Right. No linemen are, but that's the whole point of it, right? The Lions don't care about any of that BS. They just want to beat the hell out of you. Yeah. Ugly football. Ugly football is the 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 name of the game here. And it's interesting. You mentioned how, how open these guys were to to talk and, 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 and speak and tell their story, because I feel like that hasn't, really been the case here in, a, in, in, a, in some time, you know, Jim Caldwell was a guy that, that liked to keep things in house. Um, Matt Patricia was, was the extreme version of that. And so it's nice to not only have players that are, that are willing to be open, but a, an organization that is now willing to let people tell them stories and, and, and just open themselves up to the public knowing that there's no real harm in that. Right. <laughs> you just nailed it, Jeremy. I mean, that's where it's human beings talking to human beings at the end of the day, right? Yeah. I don't know why anybody would be so paranoid of us and the media. It 
I, I think these, these guys all have unbelievable stories to share and they want to share their stories. It's wild. You know, Dan Campbell, I think when he, he first was hired and people hear him for the first time, they're thinking, who is this old school meathead drill sergeant tyrant, right? Because mm-hmm. that's kind of what we're trained to think when we hear somebody talking. These certain, But he lets guys be themselves. I mean, yeah. as you know, as everybody out there knows, they, they can be themselves. They can express themselves. Look at Jamal Williams. But I think that that's kind of where they're, they are really similar to Minnesota. I did a similar two-part series on the Vikings um, over the summer where they're going from Mike Zimmer to Kevin O'Connell. And you might right. think, well, of course, Dan Campbell's most like Mike Zimmer. They're old school. They, you know, they right. want to play that. No, they, they could not be more different. I mean, guys dreaded going to work for Mike Zimmer. They hated it. He sucked the joy out of the job. Just removing that disease from the building just lifted the spirits of everybody in Minnesota. And yeah, Kevin O'Connell sounds like he's a librarian compared to Dan Campbell, <laughs> but they're, they're two coaches really, really trying to build the same thing. Like yeah. get guys jacked up to go to go to work in the morning. Like, I never believed in culture and all that cliche jargon, but it does matter. And I yeah. think that both teams are really creating positive cultures where you wake up and you want to go to work. Hey, how many professions are there in the world where you've got to go to work and just beat up your coworkers right. for a couple hours. And then you're in a cold tub next to that same person. It's, it's not natural mentally or physically. I think these two coaches in their own ways really understand that. Yeah. For sure. Um, let, let, let's get into some of these personal stories. I obviously don't want to give away everything in the article because people should go read it, but I, I think we have to start with Panay because he's he's yeah. he's maybe the most charismatic on the offensive line. He's got one of the more interesting stories. And if you don't mind, I want you to tell the Sharks and Minnows story because <laughs> that was that was amazing to me. And I know I know I know it ends with with him literally injuring a guy and maybe ending his football career just mentally. But but yeah, what can you can you kind of give us a background of, of that story? No doubt about it. Yeah, it's uh, and I should say, too, because you've got such an amazing crew of, of listeners, viewers. If anybody out there does subscribe, you know, monthly or annual to, to go long to to read the series. Um, I'll send you a go long t-shirt. So there just email me. We'll confirm it all. And it's actually you know, lion's colors. I don't know if that means anything extra, but for sure, I want to really try to get, get a lion's community going here if we can. Um, that story. Oh my God. You know what? I think all of us played playing football back in the day. Remember the, the insane hitting drills. I mean, bowl in yes. the ring was one mm-hmm. where, you know, you'd all kind of circle in a ring and everybody had a number and there's a player in the middle. The coach would yell out a number and you just go drill, knock out the guy in the middle. I think Sharks and Minnows kind of puts that to shame. I'd never heard of this hitting drill. Yeah, me neither. Panay, <laughs> uh, when he moved to the States, you're right, moved, moved to Utah. Who Who is this 300-pound eighth grader, right, that's from the middle of the Pacific Ocean? Nobody really knew who he was. But his dad, who, who was a football coach on the island, told Panay, there's this dude on your team – I mean." He's who he, he's who is, is the dude on this team. He's going to light everybody up. That's who you got to be worried about. That is the scariest, meanest, baddest dude on your team. And so he just kind of put that in his head. And when it was his turn to be the shark in the game, I should explain, you've got your whole team lined up on one sideline and they basically just have to run the width of the field to the other sideline. Those are the minnows. Two of the players are sharks and they're in the middle of the field and they can basically just do whatever they want. So all those people are running across the field and the sharks just get to light light up whoever they want. So it was Panay's turn to be the shark. 
And he's looking for that player. He's looking for the dude his dad warned him about who said this is the best player on the team. He was big. He was mean. And the way Panay describes it is he kind of like shuffles toward him after the whistle's blown. He's kind of sneaky about it where he's not looking directly at him. And then when he got in range, he just took off, lit him up, gave him a concussion. He thinks he broke his ankle. He didn't see him again. The, the, the player did not play the rest of the season. And then when they went to high school, he went to a different high school. So he couldn't remember his name. I was going to track him down. I swear. Um, we couldn't track him down. So I'm going to take Panay's word for it. Seems like a really honest guy. Nothing sure. to hide. Right. We don't know what happened to him. He just disappeared into thin air. So if he's listening to this podcast, hop on, right? We'll have, we'll have him right. on. We'll Absolutely. Live it again. If it's not too traumatic for you, we'd love to bring you on and talk about it. Um, but yeah, it, you know, you go on to kind of call him the Dennis Rodman. And then there's this quote from Panay that is just like, it's pure Panay. And, and, and it really gets me going. He, he says, quote, because when I'm in between the lines and I see him lining up against me, I take it personal. I make problems that don't even exist. He's lining up against me. And I'm like, you should not be out here with me. So he just, he creates this rivalry with the person against him and says, you're not on my level. What are you doing out here? I'm going to beat you up. And I absolutely love that. It's great. I mean, you <laughs> you need that in a violent game. And I think right. we almost assume that all of these football players are big and mean and tough and want to beat each other up. But, you know, it's a job at the end of the day. So if you, if you don't hate that person across from you, you do got to kind of conjure some right. emotion deep within your, your guts to go out there and cream them. And, uh, I, you know, his upbringing and people will read all about it, but it, it's nuts. I mean, yeah. know, cutting the grass with a machete and like I said, escaping the tsunamis, all of that made who made him who he is. But that's probably what surprised me most. Like, even when he said that he's kind of like staring right at me, like I'm across the line of scrimmage. Right. It, he, he's got an attitude about him that I, I, you know, from afar, you know, I live out here in Buffalo, New York. I'm just kind of reading and watching everybody else, what everybody else is. I don't know. I mean, a t an offensive lineman from the Pac-12, like, did he really see the pass rushers you see in the SEC? Like, what, right. what's he really bringing? No, th th this guy's legit, and he is everything that Dan Campbell, Hank Fraley, this, this Detroit Lions team wants to build themselves around. So, there's a reason I bet a lot of people remember the behind the scenes video, right? When I think it was even when Cincinnati took Jamar chase or, yeah. or maybe it was the Waddle pick before them. They, they went nuts, right? They're excited. That was their dude. Uh, that was who they wanted, right? Which if I'm like chase or Waddle, I'm thinking, all right, come on. Like, you know what? You're that excited that you don't get a chance at me, right? but no, I get it. I get it. Like this, this is who you want to build your team around. And Dan Campbell, he told that to, to Sewell right in the moment. Like, you're our building block. Yep. You're what we want to really build our entire team around. Yeah. And I think, I think maybe the, the quintessential moment from, from Panay's rookie season was that, that, that dust up with Aaron Donald that, that you kind of mentioned where they're grabbing each other's face masks. Like he's not in his rookie season. He's not, you know, cowering at the, the scariest defender in football for the past decade. He's, he's just right up in his grill and that's, I mean, that's, that's what you want. That's, that's that aggressive mindset that, that this team is trying to adopt. It totally is. And we've seen Aaron Donald do this to other players and the other players don't really fight back. Right. I mean, the other players are putting their arms up. They're waiting for the official to come in, which I guess is maybe that's what they're coached to do. L Lucas Patrick for the Packers. I mean, Donald just 
straight up chokes him. I mean, he's got his, right. his hand in his throat mm-hmm. and he kind of throws himself back, which, okay, yeah, uh, Donald's going to get the flag. You're going to, you're going to win. But I don't know. I feel like the Lions are thinking bigger picture. They're tr- yeah. looking at the forest, not the trees. Like, no, we're not going to allow that. If, if you're going to try to put your hand on my face mask and bully me, screw that. We're giving it back to you. Right. Um, from Fraley to Campbell to the players like that, that's really what it takes. It might seem small and dumb and not that important, but it is so important. I mean, I really feel like the Lions, they need these little moments to kind of add up like these little moments that like where they say, no, we're not the Detroit Lions of old. Like we're not just going to get pushed around. We're not just going to collapse at the end of games like they did last week, which, you know, as Taylor Decker said, they're still getting that stench out. It's a process, right. Yep. but we're not, we're not that, you know, we're, we're not the pip squeak. You can just push around. And so when Aaron Donald did that and Panay Sewell fought back and he said, he saw red, like he was close. I really think to just engage in an all out brawl. Right. And then he stopped himself and he just, he, you know, he did finally stop himself. And as he said, like, it's because of his teammates, it's because of the offensive line. It's because of guys that he'd literally die for. And he repeated that a few times he would die for these guys on the field. So that's also a togetherness. I think that is, is rare in the sport. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that because I think, I think a lot of times you do hear that the offensive line tends to be one of the closest bonds that, that you have on, on the team. And un- understandably so, like you said, these guys are, are essentially going to war with each other and, and so reliant upon each other. Um, but what, what about this group? do you think makes them so unique? That's a really good question. I think it's, I mean, the fact that they back it up means something, sure. right? Like, yeah. I mean, three guys go down on the inside against Washington, other teams just crater and collapse and it's disaster. And the Lions just, I mean, it, you hit another cliche you hate to hear next man up. I mean, it's just drilled into our skulls, but I think the fact that they were able to go out there and run for like 200 yards and blow them out, I mean, that just shows you that they're backing it up. And it's, it's the fact that they are playing an old school way schematically where, yeah, they are talking about, you know, wanting to beat, beat up a defense and winning the trenches and all of that. But a lot of teams, they're not actually backing up with, all right, we're just going to hit this gap. We're going to hand the ball to the running back. It's head on a head and we're getting North and South. There's, you know, that McVay-Shanahan offense just became so contagious around the NFLs. Yeah, the Niners are going to run the ball a lot. A lot of teams may run the ball more to take advantage of lighter boxes. And, you know, a lot of defenses going with 230-pound linebackers to chase around Kyler Murray and Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. That's why teams are running a little bit more the last couple of years. Sure. The Lions kind of take that to a different level. Like, okay, like we're, gonna, we're not just going to only run a lot, but we're not going to mess around with the wide zone stuff. We're getting upfield. And your guys are just going to have to beat our guys. And they can't. I mean, offensively, statistically, the Lions are the best team in the NFL right now. Yeah. A whole bunch of categories because teams don't know how to handle this. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Um, but let, let's take a quick break. We're going to get into the other guys on that offensive front and, and your stories about them. When we come back here on our special edition of the Pride Detroit podcast with Tyler Dunn, we'll be right back.
Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G Podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And we are back with our very special extra bonus episode of the podcast here with Tyler Dunn, the author of the amazing story, the Detroit lions must break you. Um, <laughs> let's, let's jump a little bit further into the Lions' offensive line. We, we talked Panay. So the, the guy I, I want to talk about next is, is Jonah because he, he, I think the lions call him that, or he calls himself the, the mystery man of the group. And I think that's kind of apropos because he's, he's so quiet. Um, when he talks to the media, there's, I feel like I don't really know him all that well and you mentioned in the story how much his his grandmother means to him and how much that motivates him on the field what else what else have you learned about Jonah because I I want to know I don't I feel like I don't know him that well <laughs> he, he definitely right it's hard to sneak up on people when you're what six four three fifteen three twenty uh, but compared to some of those other guys on the offensive line I guess he would be a little smaller a little bit of a mystery man a little yeah. quieter <laughs> Unbelievably talkative, unbelievably really? engaging in our conversation. Oh, yeah, it was great catching up with, with Jonah Jax. I think, you know, his background and where he comes from, his, his mom and dad were active in, in his life and there with him, but very busy. You know, they, they had a lot going on in their world. And, I, and so his grandmother raised him in a lot of ways, really from zero to 21. And when he was 21, when he's a redshirt junior at Rutgers and he doesn't really know what his future is. He's a good college football player. Right. Right. But he's thinking maybe training camp, maybe it'll try out for a little bit, see where it goes from there. He's not thinking NFL. He's not thinking I'm going to be in the NFL for five, you know, six, seven, eight years. So he's applying for jobs. He's thinking outside of the sport. And that was right around then that he lost his grandmother, Patricia Jackson, who was unbelievably close with, uh, he said, they'd listen to the Mariah Carey Christmas album when he was little. He said, she was a gangster. She, she liked Lauren Hill, Mob Deep. She's into all the hip hop and uh, was a rock for the family. Showed him the ropes in so many ways, day to day life, how to, how, to become a, how to become a man. And when she passed, he was there. Like he, he literally saw her pass away in his arms. And, and I think it was traumatic in a lot of ways, but I think he's very grateful that he had the chance to kind of be with her, say what he wanted to say in the moment. And, and to this day, right. So after that happens, he takes some time off of school, goes back to Rutgers, then transfers to Ohio state as a grad transfer. And it it takes off from there. She's a huge reason why he he thinks about her every practice, every game. Um, And, you know, we're all kind of a product of our, our experiences and, and who we lose in life. And maybe that's just something people didn't really realize about it, but it's definitely affected him in a big way. 
Yeah. And, and I think you smartly kind of link that with, with Frank's story as well as which, you know, I'm sure a lot of Lions fans know how, how important his dad was and, and how, you know, his, the heart attack that, that he suffered and, and, and passed away from is, you know, again, that, that word trauma has, has, has really affected Frank and, and, you know, really, his, I, I like how you touched on his foundation, which is just kind of in, in phase one at this point where he, he understands the importance of, of grief and, and, and I thought it was interesting him saying like, he, you know, he went out and played that, that Saturday. And, and he thought that in, in retrospect, he's like that, that's not good. You need, you, you need to time to actually like yeah. express your grief and, 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 and take everything in. So I, I guess what'd you learn from your conversation with Frank? Because I, that, that feels like a very sensitive, interesting conversation. Right. And he's been open about it. And I give him all the credit in the world because it's um, a world I, I just don't know. I mean, me and my dad are best friends. Right. Uh, I, I can't imagine living the next day, you know, breathing the next day. If, if I was in his shoes and how do you deal with that? Like he said, he probably didn't do the best thing, but it was to put his head down, move forward, play on. And he never really dealt with those emotions. And I think that by, by giving back, he's changing lives, right? He's, he's, yeah. it's kind of a two pronged thing where he, he knows what it's like to, to have that sudden traumatic loss as a, as a teen, as a kid, not knowing how to feel, what to do. And him and his dad had this passion, you know, of, of the outdoors and going fishing. So by combining the two, I think it's pretty awesome, right? He's really making a yeah. difference. And as he said, like, you know what, hopefully it helps them heal some way somehow but if it doesn't they get to hang out with the detroit line and maybe that's pretty cool too so, sure um i'll say this too jerry i mean it's um last week i kind of went through something in my own in my own life um very very close to my family going through a really hard time health wise and whoo man to, to talk to these players about them actually going through all of that and to sit down and write it it hits home i mean it really gets you thinking about what's important in life, how, how you even get up, get, get up in the morning and, and have a purpose. Right. You know what I mean? It's all right. Sorry. We, we lost you there for a second there, but, um, but yeah, I think, I think we all kind of get the, the idea with Frank and, and, and how important it is the, the, the work that he does and, and how inspirational it is for him to kind of take his own trauma and, and make sure that others maybe don't necessarily have to go through the same trials and tribulations that he did at least emotionally, um, let, I, I want to move on to, to Taylor because to me, he's probably the most complicated of the group. Yeah. And I mean that in, in a positive way, there's, there's a lot of layers to Taylor. Like sometimes you'll get very aggro Taylor Decker in front of a, a podium. Sometimes he's, he's very thoughtful. Actually, he's always very thoughtful. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess what, what did you learn about Taylor and, and his role kind of in this, this unit of, of varied characters? You're right. Unbelievably complex, intelligent, thoughtful guy. I mean, we, we probably talked the longest out of all the conversations It's close to an hour and gosh, where, where do you start? I, I think you start with the fact that he's the longest tenured lion. So, I mean, he's been there for three head coaches, four, if you count Daryl Bevel, he's seen a lot of bad. He's lived that stench as he put it, where you just expect something to go wrong at the end of a game. He knows what it's like to wake up in the morning and, not necessarily be that excited to get to work because of the atmosphere that you have there in Detroit. And he's seen it change. So, you know, his, his past, you know, he got really emotional 
thinking back to his motivation. And unlike Frank, unlike Jonah, as he said, dude, I've got my loved ones in my life. You know, you, you'll hear a lot from teammates. Like this person died tragically this, this way, this friend died tragically that way. I never grew up with a mom. I never grew up with a dad. And it's, it's jarring to hear that. And it can make somebody driven and emotional and give them a purpose to play. But his purpose really comes in just wanting to make everybody proud, his parents, his brothers. I mean, he's at, you know, brothers that have fought in wars overseas, one in the Navy, one in the Marine Corps. They don't talk about, you know, what, what they saw. It's a, a lot of PTSD involved for his oldest brother. I think that affects him. You, you know, you look at Taylor Decker and he's all tatted up and all these tattoos kind of tell a story. We get into all that. But, you know, you can't really judge a book by its cover. You know, in the fact that this guy is unbelievably bright. I think if I were to kind of sum it up, he'd be the group's conscience, right? He's, I think he kind of has a, a sense for, you know, where the team's at mentally, spiritually, in the moment. And he's somebody that a lot of the younger players go to, whether it's, you know, figuring out the X's and O's and an assignment or something life-related, something bigger picture. And I thought it was really interesting too. I'm kind of jumping all over the place, but and he said with his coaching staff, they can go to them with any question. Yeah. And there's nothing that crosses a line. I don't think that was the case with the, the prior head coaches where it's this open, the conversations are flowing constantly in all directions. And that's so, so important. And I think he does, he's a player that does a lot of that talking for himself, for the offensive line, for the team in general. Yeah. And I think, I think no moment was more telling that this regime was different was when Taylor, when, when Dan Campbell was first hired, Taylor Decker went to him, had that open kind of open door policy, walked into his office and said, Hey, at least give Hank Fraley an interview for the job. And, and I mean, I, I try to imagine Matt Patricia listening to a player saying, Hey, you should consider hiring this coach. And I feel like he would try to drop kick him out of the room. Like he would, he would <laughs> view that as, as, as a huge sign of disrespect or something. And Dan Campbell, not, obviously not only, you know, allowed him to walk into that office and, and give that opinion, but, he, he kept, he kept Hank Fraley. Like, and, and, and that's where I kind of want to move the discussion to now because he's kind of the one that keeps him together. And, and again, you, you do good job profiling him and, and how important he is to that room. So I guess what, what do you think it is that he does so well um, outside of maybe that open door uh, communication between, between his players um, that, that has made this offensive line, not, not only so good, but so deep, like, as you mentioned that they've been, they've tested their depth already and, and kept their head above water. You know, I think a lot of it has to do with with where Hank Fraley came from, right? He's uh, he's Robert Morris and undrafted. How many guys that are from Robert Morris and go undrafted last 150 plus games in the NFL if you include the playoffs? It's it's crazy. I mean, and he's seen a lot. I think the fact that he was on a really good team with the Eagles, yep. won a lot of games there. A really bad team with the Browns. That's just disastrous and every conceivable way when he's there, he kind of has a perspective on like what can go right, what can go wrong. And, you know, I don't think you needed to, to, to play the game to, to coach the game. There's some really good coaches that did, didn't play football, but the fact that he played and that he lived in the trenches and they, he just, he can relate to the players on that level, I think is, is so important when you are trying to win in this mano a mano way you are trying to win with it's, it's your guy versus my guy. And it's not going to be overly complicated. If you've got a coach that understands that and knows that it, it's physically draining and mentally draining, 
it just goes such a long way. And, and I think Hank Fraley gets that. And he's a player that or a coach that players want to play for because he played and be, because he's seen the ups and the downs and he's lived it. I think it really starts there. I mean, you can get into the X's, X's and O's and, and what they do schematically to, you know, catch teams off guard, but more than anything, I, I really think it's the fact that he gets life as an NFL offensive lineman, right? There's, there's no glory. Your glory is it's the four minute drill and you're trying to ice out a win and you're just trying to tilt that defense downhill. And if you do that, you can impose your will on somebody. That's all that matters. And I think that the, the team does kind of embody everything he says. Well, uh, to, to kind of transition to your, to the other piece that you wrote about the Detroit Lions about a month ago, on Jamal Williams, a guy who who's certainly going to benefit from from that offensive line. Just, I, I we're running kind of low on time here, but can you kind of give the elevator pitch to that story? Um, because I, I again, I thought it was really really interesting. You you kind of peeled back a layer of Jamal Williams that I guess we don't. I, to me, we don't really always see. Like we kind of see the the fun jovial guy, but there's there's some pain behind that. And and he went through some some things last year that I never really came to the surface. You're right. I mean, it's, um, man, he's such a fascinating guy. We could spend an hour talking about Jamal Williams. We, we really got to know each other when he was coming out of BYU, going to the NFL draft. I, I flew down to Arizona, spent a weekend with him, his uncle, Luke Neal, at the Thrill Hill, you know, this crazy hill in the desert that he trains on. Uh, maybe some of your, your listeners, your viewers have seen it by now, but it, it's brutal. I ran it with him. There's like rattlesnakes on it. It oh, just beats the hell out of you in every possible way. And when I was down there, I mean, it was a story about Jamal Williams, but it was much of a story about his uncle who's been through this made for HBO life. And the fact that Jamal was still trying to figure life out too. And part of that was his dad was in his life. They were unbelievably close. You know, they'd watch family guy together as kids and play football and he loved him. And then his, his dad just disappeared and he didn't really know why. And I think that left a void in Jamal Williams's life that, it was really difficult for him to try to fill Luke, his uncle Luke, and they're, they're still super close. He's done so much for Jamal. He's found a way to kind of fill that void and be there for him. But then losing his dad this past season, his dad passed away. It affected Jamal in such a big way because I feel like that loss never really was was, was filled, right? He, he always wanted that relationship that he that he didn't have with his dad, or he had it at a long at such a young age, such a long time ago. It, it affected him. You know, I think there was some depression there. There was some sadness. There was just, where, where do I go from here? On top of that, Aaron Jones, teammate in Green Bay, one of his best friends lost his dad. Yeah. And that double whammy sent him, him to a really dark place. And he gets into it in our Q and a that we have up at uh, a go long TV.com. People want to check it out. He just didn't talk about it in real time. I mean, how would you, how would you just stand up at a podium and say, Hey, here's what I'm dealing with everybody. Right. But he was dealing with it. And, and, I think it affected him in a way that was hard to get out. It was hard for him to get out of that place, but he did. And man, that, like you said, he's going to benefit from this offensive line in so many ways and they really need him. Well, yeah. And, and credit to you for, for getting him to, to open up like that. I think that tells a, a lot about you as, as a storyteller, as, as a conversationalist, just to, to some of these people and your ability to connect to these one-on-one, -on -one, these people one-on-one, -on -one, which really comes through in their writing. So uh, this last moment, I just want you to, to take the, to the podium here and kind of tell Lions fans where, where they can find your work, how they can get involved and, and, and support uh, good storytelling. Hey, I think, thanks so much, Jeremy. Appreciate that. Yep. It's uh go long TD.com uh, go long. So it's part of like the Substack stack uh, network. That's our platform. 
long form storytelling. I'll be traveling the country all season long, just sitting down with guys, just trying to take it beyond the, the, the press conference, beyond the locker room, best we can humanize this game. And yeah, I mean, Hey, the, the Lions fans have been awesome. It's just great to kind of see you know, how, how big that fan base is out there. And I feel like they're just dying for oh, a winner. Man. They're dying to be happy about something. And this is a team <laughs> that could really bring them a lot of joy, right? Yeah. They're going to be fun to watch. Taylor Decker said, he goes, I'm looking around at this packed stadium and it's like, holy crap. Like I want to have to run through a wall. It's, right. it, it, it's a good time. I, I, it was a rough game Sunday, but. But like, I can, like I can I even, it, I can even get the sense of like you getting excited about this team because, because like, I mean, it's the hard knocks. It's Dan Campbell. It's, it's the offensive line. Like just like very, it's a, it's an exciting time to be a Lions fan. Even if maybe they're still a year or two away from like truly being a, a really exciting team, I think. Well, it's crazy. They were three thirteen and one last year, but that excitement yes. is in the air. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like right? how many teams can say that? Yeah, that should have everybody kind of down and depressed. And, and yeah, like Hank Fraley said, like he's been on teams where it gets like that. You want to quit? You know, you're not going in the ice ice bath. You're just checking out early. It's not that way with the players. It's not that way with the fans. And so, if anybody out there wants to subscribe to read the series and everything we have coming, like I said. Uh, just shoot me an email and we're going to send you uh, some swag. So yeah. we would really love cool. to be one of in the community. It's a great old school logo. And, and like you said, it's, it's lions kind of yeah, silver and blue there as well. Uh, you can also follow Ty on, on Twitter, T Y D U N N E Ty Dunn uh, on Twitter. Ty, appreciate your time. Appreciate you, you, you covering the team in, in such an interesting way. And, uh, and we'll, we'll talk again soon. I'm sure. Hey man, any day, any time, we'll be back out there. We're we were so busy working, we were sitting right by each other. That's we didn't true. talk much, so it's good to actually talk to you, Jeremy. That's right. Thanks yeah. so much for the opportunity. <laughs> no problem at all. Uh, thank you all for listening. For listening as well, uh, we'll be back on Thursday to to preview Lions Seahawks. But until then, thank you all for watching. It's chaos. Be kind. <laughs>